0: at Congregation Baruch Hashem here in Phoenix, Arizona. And the vision of our congregation is to see God's kingdom established in Israel and the nations. And our mission, we do that by growing a Messianic Jewish community that wholeheartedly loves God and people. And I'm really honored to be invited here today to share the book of Hebrews. Uh, can we start off with a little Hebrew lesson? Yeah? yeah? <laughs> All right, ready? Hallelujah! <laughs> right <laughs> That means, obviously, uh, praise the Lord. Shalom. Shalom. Peace, right? And how about let's get into some other things here. The name of Jesus in Hebrew. Does anybody know that? Yeshua, Yeshua. okay. Would it be okay with you today if I used interchangeably Jesus and Yeshua? Yes. Is that okay? I know we're in the Christmas season. And really when Mary or actually her Hebrew name is Miriam, when she would call in her son for dinner, Yeshua, (laughs) come have some lentil soup, right? Come have some pita and hummus. And uh, so I want to present to you today the book of Hebrews, chapter eight, from a Messianic Jewish perspective. And I think that it's um, especially important for this book. Because this book was written to Messianic Jews, right? To Hebrews. So uh, I'm so grateful. Thank you, Marcia, for inviting me. We're going to jump right in. I left my clicker there so you could follow along with me if that's OK. Uh, oh, thanks. All right. There we go. So, first, we're going to talk about the grounds, and I love what the leadership team did here and put it together. I thought it was super clever. But the grounds here, we're gearing up towards the climax of the book of Hebrews. That's actually coming. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 is like the big climax, right? And, but in Hebrews 8, we're really talking about a couple of big ideas. Uh, Jesus is the high priest of heaven. He's the mediator of the new covenant. And the new covenant is the gateway to all restoration. All restoration, both for Israel and the nations. And finally, I want to talk to you today about your part in making Israel's destiny a living reality. So let's jump right in here to the book of Hebrews, starting in verse 1. And actually, before uh, we start, I just want to pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired by you, that it is God-breathed. Lord, we ask today that you would open up our ears to receive and to respond to what your spirit is saying. Open up our mind and open up our hearts to see things not only from our perspective, but to see things from your perspective. And Holy Spirit, we give you free reign here today to accomplish everything that you want to do in our midst. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our minds, that we may understand you better. We ask that you would speak to our hearts that we would grow in intimacy with you and we ask you to activate to activate the very thing that you want to do in us today lord by the power of your word and the power of your holy spirit we love you and we bless you in yeshua's name amen all right let's jump in hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 and we're going to go through and then we're just going to kind of unpack it okay Now the main point in what has been said is this, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, and we're really going to be unpacking that next month. And it's really, really my favorite subject in the whole world, Uh, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it's necessary that the high priest also have something to offer. So we're just going to park right here for a second. And the tabernacle uh, was first introduced in Exodus chapter 25. And the Lord says, make me a tabernacle so that I can dwell among you. It was never God's intention just to be separated and to be a distant God his intention always was to be a father, always for restoration. And when the Lord set up the tabernacle, as you know, in the book of Exodus chapter 25, he said, make it exactly like the pattern I show you, because it is a shadow of what's in heaven. And of course, in the tabernacle, you have three main compartments. uh, And we'll really dig into this next month, the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. But Right now, today, we're really going to focus on the priesthood. And you see, there were some really important things that had to happen for every priest serving in the house of Israel, whether they were a regular priest or a high priest. And um, they, they had to offer gifts and sacrifices as they were ministering before the Lord. And it's interesting to note even that before they could even minister, they had to be washed. And if you go through the book of Leviticus and you read the requirements necessary for a priest before they could minister in the tabernacle, it says wash your clothes. But that's actually a Hebrew idiom to be baptized, to be water immersed. And a lot of times people look at the, even the baptism of Jesus and they say, well, why was he baptized? He was sinless. But yet he was immersed. Interesting enough to note, who was he immersed by? Who was he baptized by? John, the Baptist, who wasn't really a Baptist, right? But he was <clears throat> He was a Levite. Do you remember how even he was conceived? Right? Zechariah, his father, was a priest and ministering before the Lord and offering up... Um, the incense at the altar of incense, but the angel came to him. So even though Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, he had a cousin, John, who is from the tribe of Levi because of Zechariah, and he had to be immersed by a Levite. All the priests had to be immersed by people like that. So we know that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. However, when he was immersed, he was, it was at the beginning of his ministry. Right, And he was not immersed in water for the remission of sin. He was immersed as the high priest of heaven. And this is super significant. This is super, super significant because he knew that he couldn't fulfill any of the, any of the things that he was called to do as the high priest until that started. And then after he was immersed in water, we see that, of course, he starts his earthly ministry Okay, verses 4 and 5. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Because here's the thing. And I'm getting ahead of myself because I really love Hebrews 9. <laughs> but everything in the earthly tabernacle is a picture of the reality of heaven. And you have, you have um, in the outer court, you have two pieces of furniture. You have the bronze altar, right, where they would offer up sacrifices day after day, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people, and then also in the tabernacle, you have the bronze laver that was made out of the mirrors of the women. When they, um, when all the Israelite women who came out of Egypt, and they came and it was bronze on the outside and on the inside it had all the mirrors. And the priests had to offer up sacrifices day after day um, for themselves and then for the people. And these two <clears throat> pieces of furniture really represent salvation, This is the sacrifice and then baptism, which is the washing. And then we see how Yeshua goes through and he fulfills every single piece of furniture in the tabernacle. He goes from the outer court for salvation. He offers this baptism and then the inner court, the table of showbread. Literally in Hebrew, it means the table of face. Right This is a place of interaction and intimacy with the Lord. This is a place where it was actually uh, a little bit smaller than this table, and it had 12 loaves of bread on it, and the priests would come and they would take a bite, and it was just it's really about table fellowship. Then there was the menorah, the place of revelation and illumination, lots of places where the Holy Spirit would speak prophetically. Um, then you have the altar of incense, and then the holy of holies. But we'll talk about that next month, <laughs> and and all of the reality of that that is in heaven. And I think your mind is going to be blown away, and you might just erupt with tears uh, as we talk about it next month. But but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. So you have to understand how big this is because when the first covenant was enacted, it was at Sinai, right? And we read about it in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. And the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They had been freed from being slaves and there they were at the base of the mountain and the shofar was blown. And you know, how many of you have ever heard a shofar before? It's wonderful uh, if you have someone who's skilled at playing it. Otherwise, it can be a little bit torturous. But um, uh, the shofar waxed louder and louder and louder. And, And this is what the Word of God says. It never retracted. And as the Lord was making the covenant with the people, it's just louder and there was fire and billows of smoke and the people of israel responded everything you said we will do and he says i have called you to be an am segula a treasured people my treasured possession and now the writer of hebrews is saying guys there's a better covenant it's enacted on better promises and you have to understand that for the people of Israel, from the time that children are little, uh, from the time, it's actually, it's the first thing my children heard when they were born, it is the Shema. And the Shema is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema and the Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kovod, Mahutole Leolam Vayed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words which I am commanding you this day shall be within your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall speak of them when you walk in the house, when when you rise up, when you lie down, and when you go on the way. And the second commandment, like Jesus said, is like it. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And from the time of infancy, for all their lives, they're hearing the word of God. And actually most children in Yeshua's day, and even in this day, had the entire Old Testament memorized by the time they were about 10 years old. Written on their heart whether they were a believer or not a believer, it was memorized. And this is important for what we're about to unpack here. So when you say that there's a better covenant, and it's better than Sinai, and it's better than the provision in the wilderness, and it's better than what we received when we were freed from slaves, you've got to be kidding me. But actually, they already knew something was coming. Hebrews 8, verses 8 and 9. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. So that he's referencing the Torah. I'm going to put it in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So who is he talking about here? Pardon? Who is he talking about? Israel. Okay, this is important to know the subject. And they shall not teach... Uh, And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he made the first one obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Now, I know that you guys have been doing a little bit of studying and everyone probably knows this what was wrong with the old covenant was it god was it the covenant no, it was the what was wrong the people we us right it was the people initially we promised at sinai everything that you say we will do did my people follow through with that in all of their history no <laughs> Have we all been faithful in every moment of our lives either? No, we are all guilty, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's something that's so incredible, you guys, is that this is not a new idea. This came from where? The book of Jeremiah chapter 31. Were they familiar with it? Oh, you bet you're bippy, right? So here's the thing. In Hebrew thought, in Hebrew uh, communication, there is this idea, especially at this time, that if you introduce one part of a scripture, if you're speaking to a Hebrew audience, they will naturally know that it is in the greater context. So if I were to tell you, oh, say, can you see? You would say? Right? If I were to tell you, jingle bells, jingle bells, right. If I were to say, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, (laughs) maybe some of us don't know all those words exactly, but, um, there you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And so naturally you say one tiny part of a song and you know, contextually, Oh, she's talking about Christmas. She's talking about this. And it brings to your mind an entire scene of what we're talking about. I don't have to go through the entire lyrics to get you to come with me to that place in your heart and in your mind. Correct? It is the same idea when we're talking about scripture and you're communicating with a Jewish audience. You say one clip of scripture and naturally they go to the entire passage and it's looked at in context. That's all you need. And you actually see this um, introduced in the book of Matthew. Because Matthew, of course, is the gospel that was written to the Jewish people. And so he communicates in that way. And every time he introduces a messianic prophecy, he just gives a little snippet because he doesn't have to go through the entire explanation because he knows they know what he's talking about. Right? And also, if you remember, I talked about everyone at this time about 10 or 11 had the entire old testament in the hebrew we say Tanakh, and Tanakh is an acronym for uh the three parts of the old testament t stands for torah n stands for neviim oh so um, let me back up t stands for torah which is the first five books of the old testament N stands for Nevi'im, which is the prophets. And K stands for Ketuvim, which is the writings. So T-N-K, Tanakh. That's what Jewish people call the Old Testament. They don't, uh, even Jewish people today don't refer to the Old Testament as the Old Testament. They just call it the Tanakh. But here's the thing. And how many of you have Jewish friends, neighbors, doctors, lawyers, Oh, yay, you are not here by accident today. You can give the entire gospel from the Old Testament. The entire gospel. It's right there in their own Bible. The whole thing. And the greatest gift, today's Giving Tuesday, right? The greatest gift that you can give your Jewish friends, family, neighbors, is the gospel, And to present it to them in a way that they can receive. I'm going to kind of interrupt my notes here for a little bit. If you'll allow me just to talk about some things. And I'm so grateful to have Marsha here who uh, invited me and is another Jewish believer. But a lot of times, I'm just going to interrupt my notes for a second. Because I feel like the Lord wants to say something here. Um, When you're sharing with a Jewish person Sometimes as Christians, uh, especially if you're not Jewish, if you're a Gentile, you can almost feel apologetic, right? Because they have their covenant. They have, they have the Lord, you know, and, but do they even need the gospel? And sometimes people say, Jewish people say, oh, I'm Jewish. As a defense mechanism, like don't come any closer. Why is that? Well, it's because for 2,000 years... A lot of Jewish people have been persecuted in the name of Christ, um, whether it has been the Spanish Inquisition, the programs in Eastern Europe, the Holocaust. Even I had a friend, uh, may she rest in peace, Rose Price, who was a child uh, in the Nazi concentration camps. And she was part of the section of children. Who they would um, talk about torture. Uh, they not talk about torture. They would torture the children. And she told me she came to faith later in life, but it took a lot of love and a lot of intercession. But she said when I was a little girl uh, and we were in the camps, she said they had this big contraption that was like a fan and they tied all of us to it. And they took off our clothes. And as we were going through on the fan, they would whip us and they would say, we're doing this in the name of Christ, you Christ killers, you Christ killers, And then she said, when they were done, they would take us out, take us off of that fan, and they would stick us in the snow right until we were almost dead. And then they would bring us back in and start all over. And all of this was happening when I was listening to Christmas carols. And this is not an isolated event. This has happened a lot for almost 2,000 years. And so when people, when Jewish people hear words like Christ or church or um, convert, they naturally think of a Catholic setting and associated to that Catholic setting is a lot of persecution. But if you tell them Messiah, congregation or temple, right? If you tell them um, the Jewish Messiah, he's come to, to redeem the House of Israel, and all the nations, if you tell them, I just want to thank you, and they'll say, well, what for? (laughs) Well, because it's because of your people that I have my Bible. Your people have preserved the word of God for me so that I can have my Bible. And I also want to thank you because it's because of your people that I have a Messiah. Because Jesus came from the Jewish people. And it's because of your people now that I have a love for Israel. You tell someone, you tell a Jewish non-believer that, it's going to open up all sorts of doors. Okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> and uh, but this is, it's the season for Israel's salvation. Okay, Brew. <laughs> What's the history of the passage with the audience? Oh, what's the history of this passage with the audience of this book? Okay, the audience is Hebrews. They're Messianic Jews. The 12 tribes scattered abroad, right? And the history of this passage is it's the promise of the new covenant from Jeremiah 31. Is there a bigger picture to behold? It's kind of a rhetorical question. (laughs) Yes, there's a much bigger picture to behold is there more to this promise to receive? Yes, absolutely. So actually Hebrews chapter eight is one of three sister passages, okay? <clears throat> Hebrews chapter eight is one of three sister passages pa- excuse me sister passages. So you have at the root jeremiah thirty one and then you have different commentators that are writing in the how Hadashah, which is the hebrew way that you say the new testament and they're writing about jeremiah 31 and they're writing about the promises packed in jeremiah 31 so it's one of three sister passages you have jeremiah 31 as the base and then you have hebrews 8 and then you also have romans 11 okay so romans 11 oops There we go. So there's more passages, but these are the two main passages that stem from the mother passage, Jeremiah 31. So we're going to go back to Jeremiah 31. And I wish I had the time to unpack the entire chapter with you, but I don't. But we're going to just hit on a few highlights from Jeremiah 31. And I actually want to encourage you to go through and read chapter 31 on your own okay jeremiah 31 at that time declares the lord i will be the god of all the families of israel and they shall be my people this is the headline of jeremiah 31 this is it this is like when you're you open up a newspaper and you see a headline right Even back, you think about like the 40s, you know, the Newsies kids. The headline, headline. This is the headline of the chapter. It's so important. I'm going to ask us to read it together. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. This is about redeeming not just one person, not just two people, It is about redeeming the entire house of Israel in the same way that God redeemed the house of Israel from Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and took care of them. God is now going to redeem the entire house of Israel from a spiritual Egypt, from sin, and bring them into the promised land of his love and promises and the covenant made through Messiah Yeshua. Now we're going to skip down to verses 7 and 8 For thus says the lord sing aloud with gladness for jacob and shout among the chief of the nations Proclaim give praise and say and I want us to say this next line together O lord save your people the remnant of israel Verse 8 behold i'm bringing them from the north country Where's the north country? russia former soviet union and i will bring them from the remote parts of the earth among them the blind and the lame the woman and the child and she who is in labor together a great company they will return there friends what happened in 1948 the state of israel was reborn in a day can a nation be born in a day from the book of isaiah yes it can and this is part of the prophecy here in jeremiah 31 right get ready hold on hold on to your socks here okay with weeping they will come and by supplication i will lead them i will make them walk by streams of water on a straight path in which they will not stumble for i am a father to israel and ephraim is my firstborn son hear the word of the lord O nations who's the nation's The nations are, so I have, um, I don't know where the congregation stands on this, but I'll share it from my perspective. The word Gentile is not a bad word, okay? I just want to say that. It's not a bad word. It's a great word. Every Jew needs a Gentile. Every Gentile needs a Jew. We need each other like peanut butter and jelly, like pita and hummus, right? (laughs) We need each other like chips and salsa. We have a prophetic destiny together, and God did not make a mistake by making some Jewish people Jewish and others Gentiles. Gentile means literally one from the nations other than Israel. Okay. There is a prophetic inheritance for people who are not Jewish. And we're going to. Oh, yes. Uh, excuse me one second. You me, please. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot.